Connors T. This is Surika jumping in quickly with some announcements. We have live shows coming up next week on the 11th of October. We're performing live at the Sugar Club in Dublin. Tickets are on sale right now. And we will also be at Puka Festival again this year at the opening parade in Trim and again performing stories at Brogan's Bar in Trim on the 29th. You can follow the link in the show notes to find tickets for both of these. And if you are listening to this after those dates and you've missed out, you can still follow that link to find out what shows are currently coming up. Hope to see you soon and back to the podcast. Welcome to the Candle Tales podcast. My name is Aaron. I'm sitting down with my sister. My name is Sarika. And we tell Irish myths and talk with them afterwards. We are going to be having a reflection about the classics. Yes. Right. So. Our current series. Uh well, the the one that that has just finished. So, yeah, we uh, we we've been doing this podcast for a minute now, and creative uh, time. We kind of forgot some. I guess we started off doing the stories that no one had ever heard of. That was kind of the thing was that we wanted to be like the real stuff, the authentic Irish mythology, the mad and then, stuff. And then, I mean, in fairness, we did start with the Tawn, which is quite well known, but. You know, we 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 realized. Uh, well, you realized that we had sort of skipped some of the basics in our haste to get to the. <laughs> well, as as I suppose, as we started paying attention to things like listenership and, you oh, know, was that it? Paying attention to the things that were trying to promote the channel and you know doing stuff like that because that wasn't really on the agenda at the start at all. No. Uh, and we realized, hang on, we don't have some of the the most popular stories out there on our podcast searchable findable easy to access and we've told them all live before we've, we've told, told them all them, live so many times yeah and we started off telling them in conjunction with stories uh, like the you know Fionn knowledge would always lead into maybe an, a strange Fionn story or a Fina story or mm-hmm. Fina battle we might start with the boyhood and lead on but it was always a starting point a building block for a bigger kind of live show that we did yeah and usually with the live shows we would have kind of uh, mostly an Irish audience who would be familiar with this so it's yeah. kind of a case of recontextualizing the stuff that people already knew back into a wider mythology mm-hmm. and a wider set of stories that they maybe were less familiar with Yes. so it was always kind of part of a thing rather than standing on its own but yeah realising that we had never told Oisin and Tierna Nog on our own Irish mythology podcast that was that was when I was like I hear we need to sort this out now like we need to sort this out um, oops whoopsie daisy so I guess that was that, that was the in- initial kind of like hang on we need to we need to sort this out now some of them we had told and yes. the very easy thing for us to do and has I've always been to do is like oh if you've told a story and you've you told Deirdre of the Sorrows, I'll just do a version of it. Yeah. So that, I told Deirdre of the Sorrows, which was like episode four yeah, or something of the yeah, podcast. Yeah. So God knows. Yeah. Again, like, you know, it's kind of interesting even looking back and listening to it, kind of, you know, what we did with the, the Thorn was we found stories that were very much in in the Thorn and then also stories that were undiscovered were exciting for us and were how do we keep how do we keep the inspiration alive by by telling these stories it was often by finding a new link. We didn't know this. Oh, well, mm. this is a new thing. Oh, well, let's explore this narrative that mm-hmm. adds into the fuller complexities of the the pattern on the tapestry of Irish mythology. But this was, let's go back and actually do it right. <laughs> yeah, let's go bit. back and actually have a look at it. So let's talk about Oshin. 
Yeah. Why is the Oisin story such a fascinating story for Irish people? Very good question. I don't know exactly, but it has a lot of themes, you know. I mean, it's really funny. These The stories we hadn't picked for this series are like, you know, stories kids will almost be getting bored of it in primary schools when, when we go. Because they're, everyone knows from Sam knowledge. Everyone gets Oisin Tirnog. But yet, even as adults, they're the ones adults remember. Mm-hmm. And people go, yeah, no, I definitely know that one. And why is that? Oshin story, the the journey to the other world, the return to completely changed land and missing his home, missing his family, missing his friends. Why is that so poignant, so strong? Uh, Because there's other voyage stories, but they're not quite as heart-wrenching maybe they're not quite as yeah happy. I mean there's there's because there's a rake of them and, and there's many that are on the podcast already that we have done mm-hmm. uh, like the Voyage of Bran and the Voyage of Brendan and mm-hmm. the Voyage of Maeldun but I think the Ocean one is it, I think for two reasons I think one is that it is it is connected so like most people don't know the King stories so they wouldn't you know Bran is a a, a, a new character to kind of get your head yeah, around. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, you know, like you said, every school child knows Fionn and the Salmon Knowledge. So the son of Fionn, Oshin, is a kind of an easy one, even if they don't know how that, like, even if they don't know the story of Sive, they don't know the birth of Oshin, they don't know any of that stuff. It's still a kind of a lineage and a link. So the character Absolutely. is a bit more grounded and the character is a bit more known. And then I think also there's a, there's a huge uh, theme in Irish culture and Irish history of exile. Uh, both, yeah. Well, uh, exile is one is one part. Yeah, sorry. Now, like, and then there is also yeah, emigration. Yeah. But like the the involuntary exile of people has been going back since like the you know the twelve hundreds and before. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if anyone's listening from Australia, uh, how is? Um, but also that, you know, as is well known, started as a penal colony with a lot of Irish people being sent out to Australia as punishment for, for kicking off back at home. Um, so like the involuntary exile is a huge part and there's a huge kind of, you know, cultural wound around that. And then that was echoed later with uh, emigration for economic reasons. And I guess you have that huge, like, you know, we've, we've probably both experienced it in our own traveling yeah, and, and leaving, coming back. Our brother is, you know, who just visited us in Ireland. He's now in that stage where he, he kind of can't come back almost. Mm. And he can't come back to a way of life or a way of living because he's settled in, and made roots elsewhere in, in Central America. So he kind of, he's divorced from a life that's worth living in here because he's planted roots elsewhere. You know, that's what happens when you leave for yep. the seminal years of your mid, you know, whether it's mid-20s or mid-30s, you know, somewhere in between those that, that time, that's when life concretizes. You kind of, you settle in to, uh, for most people, I would say. Yeah, um, you for know. most people. And there's there's almost kind of, I remember this being kind of striking me when I was traveling in my, in my 20s of like, I feel like if you are if you stay moving through those years, you then concretize into somebody who doesn't settle. Right. So I think there is still a kind of a, a for almost everybody, there is that kind of process. There's a certain period of time where your life, this is what your life will be. And I think for a lot of people, and this is something that we talked to Neil about as well when he was over, 
a lot of the time that is a not very deliberate process because a lot of the time that is a reactive process. Like mm. you, you take the opportunities that are in front of you, you do your best with them and then you look around you and 10 years have passed and this is your life. Um, and, you know, I think it's kind of... Uh, it can be it can be something that people have to grapple with then of like, was this what I wanted? Was this the life that I actually wanted to be living? Is this the kind of thing that I that I'm happy with? Um, well, but it's a particular in the particular context of like exile and return. Mm-hmm. The thing that then happens is that you go away for a certain amount of time. You think of the home that you left. And when you come back to it oh after God. a certain amount of time has happened, you are coming back to a place that is unrecognizable because the other people in your life have also been through that process of change and of settling. And the the nostalgia is for a time as much as it is for a place. Like I remember talking to a friend of mine who lived in Ireland for a couple of years and then went back home to the UK. And like, you know, we were we were chatting about, oh, you know, she missed kind of meeting up with all of us and hanging out. And I was kind of like that particular group, we don't hang out anymore. Yeah, yeah. Like people have kids, people have moved, people have new jobs. Like it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that romantic version is not really there. We're not going to Whelan's every Wednesday for <laughs> for the dancing anymore. Like yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's, that's that's dead. Like that's that's been and gone. Yeah, and I, I guess that's kind of one of the, like the invitations to explore, the invitations to to be the rambler or go for the adventure, and that's that's certainly what what Oshin takes up from Neves. You know, literally just inviting him over to Tiernan Oak where it is all possibilities it is all happiness it is all yoga and meditation on the beach that sounds great mm. and you know when you're run, rushing off and seeking adventure there's so much out there there's always a new waterfall there's always a new thing to explore mm-hmm. and park to, to be amazed by and the world is endlessly fascinating and it is abundant with visual spec- spectacle mm-hmm. and that's kind of I think what this story bit like tries to um to emphasize is that like there is amazement out there no matter where and something in it in this land of eternal life and youth and no one gets sick and no one ever gets sad is this kind of divorced from a real life which is connected to connected to the season like that's that for me is pivotal. Like the fact that it never gets winter, doesn't get dark, doesn't get cold. Uh-huh. There is no winter. There is no cocooning, having to sense the seasonal change, weather yourself, and and you know figure out how and to renew to, yourself and renew yourself. And yeah. the, I think there's something as well in like I remember I remember this from when I was traveling a lot when I was younger. Of like, there comes a point where you you cease to experience the waterfall in its wonder. You see a waterfall and you start to talk to people who did that waterfall. Uh, and like, uh, did, did you do that? Did, yeah, well, did, did that pyramid and did that place. And, yeah, yeah. you know, what did you do to it? That was Neil's joke always was what the fuck did you do to it? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's, it, it ceases to be a, an experience and it starts to become a checklist. Yeah. Uh, like even the most beautiful and spectacular places in the world, when you are when that's all you're seeing it kind of loses the shine mm-hmm. in a in a really interesting way and i think that's also what happens with ashin is that like this endless happiness this endless summer this endless play gets really fucking boring 
because it's not contrasted with anything. Yeah, there's yeah, no yeah. winter to contrast the summer. There's no grief to contrast the joy. That's there's it. no loss to contrast the the belonging. When everyone's so, always like, happy all the time, then then why, happiness what, means nothing. What the fuck are you supposed to be really elated by? And what, like, why do you really care about these people? You know, and, that, and that's the kind mm-hmm. of. You know, that often rings a bell with me when I, when I went, again, going back to it to try and keep these old stories that we've told loads of times and heard so many times fresh and new is a challenge. And that's what's been the challenge of this series, really. But to kind of go back into it and think about what is it about that kind of free and spirited. And look, I love traveling. I love going away. Mm-hmm. And yet there is a thing about connecting to to your friends that are going through tough times, that are having a difficult moment. To be there for somebody is one one of the most beautiful things you can do mm-hmm. f- for another human being. And it's not fun and it's not elated, but it's it's human It's and it's connected. And it's like, it's what is massively divorced from Oshin in Tiranog. And there yes. is no sense of family, belonging, kind of culture and connectivity yeah there's it's it's an interesting kind of one of like what does community mean if nobody needs anything yeah like Oshin is coming from a community of people who have all decided to choose their community rather than staying in the one they are born into mm-hmm. um and and you know in a funny way he is born into it but like he comes from an incredibly tight-knit community of people who look out for each other and take care of each other in a country where the clans take care of each other and look out for each other. And then he goes to a place where nobody needs to look out for you because you, you don't need anything. Yeah. Which I think, like, the disconnectedness that that seems to bring yeah. uh, of, like, oh, no one needs me and I don't need anybody. How fucking lonely. You know? Yeah, yeah. I think that actually is good. I, yeah. And I suppose I, I we often kind of talked about, like, yeah, the the, the parallel of... of not knowing real happiness if you don't know if you don't experience sadness and that almost longing for a bit of bit of kind of cathartic release Mm -hmm. and coming back then and getting like shook by the change and the absolute landscape like no forests tolling of bells churches roads towns all stuff that wasn't supposed to be there in Fianna time and the deforestation which is yeah. actually remarked on in that story. Usually yeah. the clearing of a plane is kind of seen as a good thing. But I think that's that's kind of a turning point story in that for the first time, the loss of the forests mm-hmm. is, a, is, a, is a sorrow, is a grief. Yeah. And like the clearing of the land for agriculture um, and the clearing of the land for, for these tiny little farms. And yeah, it's a it's a huge like the landscape change. And the and the kind of yearning after a, a previous time when things were you know golden and in balance was is is really kind of striking. There. And like I, 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 as much as I think, oh yeah, well obviously this this story has been so profoundly well understood, it's so popular. Clearly not, because we we're, we're we're not doing great of actually introducing those forests back. Like we're what one percent of natural forests. Oh yeah, in, in we Ireland. have the the least forest cover of any any country in in the EU which is you know that's that's something that some of us are and, trying to work on and but, that's uh, even that's even taking into account the 10% that were nationally given and a 9% of that 10% is um, fast is growing Sitka spruce <laughs> non-native acidifies the land and kills everything underneath it <sighs> absolutely yeah, yeah 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 no we we our forests are, are in are in a bad bad way at the moment and there are um, there are attempts 
by some people who there are doing great jobs. You know what? Come back tree. in a hundred years or so, and yeah. I think we, some of us will hopefully have made a, a, an impact, and yeah, that yeah. will still be here in a couple of hundred years. Yeah, yeah. The greatest uh, thing you can do is, you know, what plant plant a tree that you, someone else will uh, enjoy the shade of. Yes. Um, I think is a Japanese proverb that I absolutely asked of. (laughs) There, there is a Chinese proverb of the person who plants the tree is not the 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 grandfather plants the tree the tree and the grandchild feels the shade. I think is is the way that proverb goes as far as I remember, but I could also be wrong. Yeah, leave a comment in the yeah. Let us know what's 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 that actual proverb that we're making. What's that proverb that we're making shit of? Um, Um, So yeah, I mean, you know, in in terms of the the. You know, the Tiernanog of Ireland for people that live maybe in America, live in yeah. uh, far off places who have this ideal of this land being that Tiernanog, being that land of abundance yeah. and beauty. And it's green. It's very, very green. There's a lot of it's grass. It's still very here. green. There's a huge amount uh, of grass. It's very good grass. It's yeah. very high in beta carotene, so our butter is very yellow. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Grass is, is also very invasive, though, so it's not great. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we we like we like other things than grass. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah. So it has no, its, its problems. It's kind of funny. Like Ireland, Ireland does occupy this space in kind of the global imagination, and mm. we fucking capitalize on that. Like oh, we yeah. use it as a country in terms of like soft power and in terms of kind of diplomacy, but also like. You know, we do as people who are recording our Irish mythology and putting sure. it out for a global audience. You know, we're we're kind of leaning on that. Uh, oh, absolutely. That trope. Um, sure. I, I, I'm an actor and a storyteller and a you know person who uses my Irish voice as much as I can because I'm. That's what I. I yeah, I'm from the land of poets and yeah, um, <laughs> you know, Look. the bards, and we're both using it. You know, we're we're absolutely. both well aware of it and. And, and that's kind of that uh, twinkly charm. Yeah, but but also like that's that's what our calling is in this generation is to kind of use that to try and actually call about some awareness to or change. And like that's what I think you know maybe the this old old story stayed in the the mind stayed in the collective unconscious for a very long time because there were some little themes in there that hadn't been fully worked out. Obviously, there is a diaspora kind of aspect of it going and coming back mm-hmm. to, to, which is hugely understandable and relatable to. And there's Absolutely. some aspects of it that are that are kind of like we could work on maybe. <laughs> well, there's there's a kind of a, you know, there there is a version of that that is very nice where it is a cultural exchange and it is a sharing and it is a you know, getting to know the people who have left and the people who left, getting to know what was left behind and yeah. and also what that has turned into and how that has evolved and how that has not stayed static and has not stayed the same. And then there is a version of that where it, it becomes um, kind of mutually exploitative of like, yeah, come visit our country and we'll fucking gouge you and mm. we'll charge you the highest possible prices for a little pony ride around the park and we'll, you know, take as much money as we possibly can out of you and you while you look at us as twinkly little leprechaun people who aren't really people at all are you you're just twinkly um and and you know there so there is there is a kind of a nasty version of that that's quite dehumanizing on both sides i think um of like taking that culture as well ireland hasn't changed since the 1800s when my ancestors left and therefore that's the experience that that one demands 
Um, you know, it's it's yeah. a it's a weird little kind of tension that that kind of comes in there as well because you know Irish people also a lot of the economy in Ireland is based on tourism. Sure, a lot of Irish people get real cynical about tourists. <laughs> massively, <laughs> massively, but you know, I, I I also think there is a personal relationship with these classics that a lot of Irish people have. Yeah. Like there's a huge, and I kind of kind of can't be underestimated, especially as, as your first introduction yeah. to this type of mythology, this type of kind of opening up. And I think like I, I would love to hear from people uh, as to what their personal relationship is with it because I know for me, you know, as a young boy, you know, <clears throat> we had a, a, a young brother who didn't didn't survive birth and his name was Oshin and I always uh-huh. for me had Tiernan Og as this you know life after and and that story very much resonated for for me and for as a child mm-hmm. um, as a young boy and always that story would kind of like would you know would definitely you know pinch the heart that bit more because of that association Mm-hmm. And that link to another world, another life, another living, uh, uh, beyond the veil living. And that kind of, that uh, that semi-realism that you have to believe in as a child of, of life after death so that you can go to sleep. And, <laughs> you know, um, and, and... What was our granny's favourite prayer, prayer? If I should die before I wake, I pray my soul, the dear God shall take. She used to say that with us when we were going to sleep. It was fucking terrifying. <laughs> You should say that and you'd be bolt upright in the bed going, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean if die. I should die? <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I think you're I think you're right. I think there is a, there is a like there is a personal connection to that story. Um, mm. And there is a you know, that that's part of that. Uh, that's part of the meaning of the other world as well, I think, Absolutely. is that life after death or that like beyond uh, existence. And I suppose that's that's you know that's why Fionn is held up in such a kind of high regard as well because he he lives between metaphor and realism. Is he was he a real person? Was he something that people have a, a personal association to? And again, this Oshin and, uh, and Tiernog story is kind of linked to the this huge character of Fionn, mm-hmm. the knowledge and, and the dragon that we'll talk about now as well. And I guess this kind of huge role in Irish mythology had to be cemented in uh, in our kind of, uh, again, collective unconscious and, and the stories about him. And I guess this boyhood into, you know, into how he became this great, great, amazing hero and leader of the Fianna, like it starts off so, so simply. It starts off so almost... Like there's no Odin story. There's no he gouges out his eye and he hangs himself off a tree. He literally burns his thumb on a, on a salmon and becomes mystically intelligent. Um, it's a slightly softer initiation, I suppose, <laughs> isn't it? He doesn't have to hang himself from Yggdrasil, the world tree, yeah. upside down for fucking however long he does it. Yeah, um, and yet, like that would be kind of the parallel ish in some ways. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the the yeah the child who burns the thumb. Um, and then has all knowledge uh, at his fingertips, which I think is a kind of an interesting one. You know, we often uh, this is a story that we have told so often mm. and it is a very useful story that we use a lot as well in kind of workshops and storytelling mm-hmm. workshops because because it's so familiar. It's quite um, it's quite easy to get people to sort of tell their own version of it or like, you know, do their kind of take on it. And 
I can't remember who did it, but it was somebody in the Maestries workshops who first came up with this the the burnt the burnt thumb being a thumb that unlocks a smartphone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as a kind of a modern metaphor for the salmon of knowledge of like, it oh, all knowledge oh, at your fingertips. It was Michael. Um, was it Michael? Yeah, the brilliant uh, writer who uh, sadly he, passed a couple yeah. years ago over lockdown. Yeah, he was fantastic. Uh, he just he rewrote so many of the stories um, and kind of really got into it. And that was his, his little metaphor. Uh, which is, is oh, the veil. yeah, um, which is a wonderful, um, a wonderful metaphor and a wonderful kind of linking of that story to sort of modernity and uh, a, a more kind of modern um, interpretation, because we do have devices of all knowledge. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much disinformation Fionn McCool had to wade through, but... Uh, <laughs> well, I, I guess it, it kind of, I, I think we were actually talking about this again on our uh, recent Patreon Zoom call and, and it was a couple of in, in, interesting insights and just in terms of that story, like that, when, whenever I kind of try and tell it, I think I've, you know, try and go into the mindset of what would it really be like to be in that moment of enlightenment, maybe yeah, where you're one of those like peak experiences, peak experiences where you're, you're, you're all like, of your oh, senses open up, where you're flooded with information, where you actually would know the meaning of everything. And, and I, I did. I it. had one of those. I definitely had one of those in the Amazon. I, I can tell you what it is. I mean, it's, it's that the world is made of interlocking lizards. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In I a know. beautiful Escher-esque pattern. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 it explained Look, everything Lady at the Ayahuasca time. can um, really open those channels. It, it explained, it genuinely felt like it made sense of everything at the time. Absolutely. Um, it's coming back into reality and it's, using it's it practically. To, yeah, it's trying to bring that insight with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I got a tattoo of a lizard, okay? <laughs> That's why I did. Um, hey, I've got tattoo with spirals because it yeah, all just merged. That man. also it's all interlocking spirals, in. <laughs> interlocking lizards. Lizards can be spirally, you know, it's fine. Um, but yeah, it's it's, so it's I, trying yeah, to bring that cool that massive download of information back to uh, reality with you and take something out of it uh, but for that's yourself. Kind of why again, like whether it was. Mushrooms the shamans were, or the you know the druids, or the or the uh, holy people, or the uh, connected people, or the storytellers were using to access another realm, or you know we we call it ayahuasca now, but the mushrooms could can have the psychedelic effect as well. And well, ayahuasca is a different plant because it's that's sure. the one that they use in, in two plants. It's two plants, and that's that's one they use in in other countries. Sure. But yeah, I mean, there's also there's sure. also some uh, some interesting mushrooms in the Irish landscape. But you know what I mean? Like it's kind of like. Y- y- it's it's interesting for me that there's like a a point that he has to use in order to access it, but it's not there with him all the time. He, like he doesn't yeah. eat the salmon, and therefore yeah. he's now gifted the wisdom forever. He has to literally put something in his mouth to have that bing moment. Yeah, and like he literally has to almost get the saliva activated on that wisdom again in order to so like there's something definitely that has always leaked into some form of psychedelics <laughs> I mean it I seems it seems like a useful metaphor in a children's story for explaining to people why um, 
getting <laughs> getting real twisted on psychedelics is good actually, and you should try it. You should try it later. Say uh, say, <laughs> say say maybe to drugs, children. Um. <laughs> um, again, I'm aware that some kids do listen to this podcast. So if you're with your parents, talk to them about it when you're a teenager. Please, please make sure that your children are under parental supervision. Hey, if you're listening to this, we're gonna have to put a. If you're listening to this, warner. and there's no adults present. That's because you're really cool. <laughs> Stop that. Stop that. <laughs> Only the cool children right. are listening unsupervised. Um, yeah, you're doing a great job, parents. Doing a great job, parents. Well done. I don't well know done. That's, on you. That's on you. <laughs> um, no, okay. So, let's Tangent. take it. Uh, let's come, let's back. come back onto the main well, the body main of the river here. the thing about this, I <laughs> think, is that up. it requires for you to cultivate. This is actually a good segue, right? This is as if we planned it. Because this kind of thing requires you, like this access to information requires someone, a person, to develop a really good capacity for discernment Mm -hmm. and discrimination of Mm -hmm. information. Because when you have all of the information in the world at your fingertips and you have people who you hold as being experts in one regard giving incredibly poor advice... It's really important to be able to kind of recognize that and go, oh, the Hegartys know some stuff about Irish mythology. They definitely don't know what the fuck they're talking about with brain development. They definitely don't know anything about bringing up children. So we should probably not listen to them when they're talking outside of their expertise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and we'll try and and flag that. And we should also probably, um, you know, keep an eye out for that in other people who talk. Uh, you know, yeah. is someone talking way outside their wheelhouse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, it's. I think it's really important to have that discernment when you are on a kind of an internet, uh, in an internet environment of like, what is, when are people talking about their own experience? When are people talking about things that have been studied? And when are people just given their opinion. opinion and being really charismatic and strident and about it? And making it look like fact. And like that's, yeah. that's, I mean, that is the kind of discernment that, you know, I guess Fionn had to go through with like, okay, all the wisdom is there. Like, what does he really gain from that initial moment other than I'm going to go to Tara? That's I think where the Fionn are. The that's main, literally it. Yeah, because the main thing it seems to be is the crossing of a threshold. Yeah. It is an initiation. It is an understanding that like, this has gone as far as it is going to go. Yeah. This is as far as I go down this path and now I have a decision to make about what kind of life I it's, concretize. It's kind of, again, it, it's that like student into manhood. It's the like he's he's literally graduated from... He's graduating, yeah. Being, like he, he's, he knows more than his master. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a very quick initiation and it's like, you know, we'd all love for that to be the case. Uh, but, you know, that's, it's, it's a lot slower for most people, uh, for everybody. <laughs> Parfion. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's that kind of like sudden flip onto but, what is the next stage now? What's the next? And, and I, think, I think actually it can feel sudden, which is what's really interesting about it. Mm. I think there is a time in your life when you go from looking at parents or teachers or whoever as like supreme enlightened beings to kind of going, wait a minute, you're a person and you're a bit confused. Um, and I think... You're also massively confused. Like, that's, that is a threshold that everybody crosses to yeah, kind of be yeah, like, yeah, yeah. oh, wait, we're both people and yeah, yeah. and you know more than me about some stuff and I actually know more about more than you about other stuff. Yeah. Wild. Um, and I think it's that, like at that moment, 
is is kind of like the first some of the first stages of of you know maturity yeah, of yeah. actually realizing no no I have my own choices to make and then Fionn makes a choice and his choice takes him to to the Fiona and to Tara um, he does and he goes off there now is there one thing I wanted to mention about the the salmon knowledge being surrounded by uh, the trees and, and no it's fine hazel um, trees lovely yeah, native yeah. plants well there, there was again just in terms of keeping the, the story fresh there was a thing I think you found it actually um, of Finnegas having knowing that the um, egg, the, the salmon was at, at the east side of the river at a particular corner mm. at the particular point of the Boyne specifically knowing that that was where he had to wait and for me that was kind of like oh that's an interesting just little you know extra addition and detail some by the way will absolutely say the Shannon and some will absolutely say the Boyne <laughs> yeah yeah um, so it is it is both the Boyne and the Shannon and also it is definitely one but it is also definitely the other <laughs> And uh, there's one specific spot. There's one specific on spot on both of those rivers <laughs> at which the salmon actually is is caught, yeah. uh, which is the and other. And also, it's it's nice definitely it just one salmon, and it's also definitely many salmon. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely only one salmon, and also it's a well in the in in the other world that any salmon that gets there gets to eat the hazels of. So yeah, it is. And it the is, salmon is Fintan, and also the salmon isn't is Fintan. not Fintan, which is also a very important thing to be extremely clear Just about. Just so we're nice and clarified Look, after all of this. If you don't know how to do a cognitive dissonance, uh, we'll teach you. This is how. Um, you've you got go. to hold opposing ideas in your head at the same time. It's actually very important ability. Yeah, it's, it's not good. a bad thing. It's not a good a bad thing. thing at all. Uh, uh, two truths can be. Um, yeah, simultaneous contradictory truths. Um, so yes. So, Fionn goes off to Tara, and the, so I guess this is one of the least known. Classics. Best known, best known, best known yeah, list, the, least the known, least known, known or the best known, maybe? I think, because everyone will say, yeah, Fionn and Salmon, yeah, Oshin Tiernog. This one has become quite, I'm, I'm basing this now on hands raised in classes for workshops mm. at schools mm-hmm. when we tell these stories. Uh, the kids today and even my, you know, friends and people who, who come to shows who don't know a lot of Irish myth would say they definitely know the first two and maybe not so much the second, third. And, and... However, it is still one of the very well-known ones in terms of like, you will see collections of Irish fairy tales with Fionn McCool standing on the battlements with the spear and the and the fire-breathing dragon coming towards him. Now, for those of you who've listened to the story, you might have noticed <laughs> there wasn't any mention of a dragon. Now, Soroka, why exactly did you label it Fionn and the dragon and not mention the dragon at all? What was that about? <laughs> because I have the instincts of a troll. Um... <laughs> I just did anyone else spot that? Did anyone else? I, I, I hope people spotted that. I'm I'm waiting for all the YouTube comments to be like, why no dragon though? Where dragon? Was promised dragon. Wish for refund. Um, I want that to happen. That's that's yeah, my dear, we my get fondest paid so wish. much for YouTube. What? <laughs> we get paid so much for YouTube that we can refund we, people. We, yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> Give me back my time. Give me I back. Wasted I wasted my time. And I'm going to waste more <laughs> looking for my time back. Yell at us in the comments. It'll get your time back. Um, yeah, okay, it'll help the algorithm. Explain yourself. Explain. So, <laughs> look, I thought it was funny. Yes. And also... When I was kind of researching this, you know, one of the ways that I think we might have said this, but I can't remember if we said this, but uh, 
in terms of kind of keeping these stories fresh, one of the ways we do that is by making sh- like finding new details and finding new moments and finding like little bits that we weren't aware of before. Um, so I quite enjoyed finding a little bit more information about this dragon because it's kind of a Beowulf type of story in that it is, you know, the hall at Tara. That's so distracting. The hall at Tara, the um, the hall being burnt down, the creature emerging, and it has usually been characterized as a dragon. I first came across it and it was a dragon. A lot of the times it is a creature from the other world that breathes fire. And when I was looking it up in my one of my favorite books, which is the dictionary of the Oxford Dictionary of Irish Mythology, um, it's it's fully not a dragon. Yeah, it's fully not. It's it's a guy. Yeah, it's a guy. <laughs> it's an Oliel. It's a guy called Oliel, which is one of the most common names in Irish mythology, who is a fairy uh, musician. Yeah, who has a mouth full of molten stone and a dulcimer. Yeah, the dulcimer was news to me. I and he comes out dulcimer. playing a dulcimer and uh, puts everyone to sleep and then spits burning stone at the at the hill of Tara to burn down the king's hall. And I was just, I just kind of liked the idea of, I can, it's so easy to see how that became dragon. Dragon. Because Fire out of Oliel, Oliel the, the dulcimer player, becomes a creature. Mm-hmm. Uh, spitting molten stone becomes breathing fire. And what is a creature that breathes fire? A dragon. A dragon Done. is a creature that breathes fire. Done. Um, links in perfectly. I mean, like, I, I remember reading about the, the, the uh, it was a, weird enough, the Dulcimer was changed to a harp in one of the Shiera versions. I will right? sometimes call um, it a harp because I forget what the instrument is. Right. Um, That's as probably well. why. Um, and it was just beautiful floating music that this dude was playing. And I mm-hmm. was like, hang on, how the fuck did this become? Um, yeah, a dragon. And and yet, obviously, it's just, it's, ju- it's more in the mind more in the desire, I think, to have a big, scary, monster-breathing dragon. Mm. Maybe now more than then. Uh, I'm not quite sure. Like the- I always think we have a striking lack of monsters that are straightforwardly monsters yeah. in Irish mythology. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually you can talk to the monsters. Um or they're just weird. Like the the most one of the most horrifying ones that I've ever come across is the revolving beast from Male Doon, mm. which is the creature that runs around and around and then revolves itself inside its own skin. In, in its own skin, yeah. Which is a horrifying image. And the sailors <laughs> just don't land there because they go, Oh no, that's nope. And and keep going. And like you have you have a certain number of ulfaists and pastes that are like driven out of places uh, and you have dog-headed and cat-headed creatures and you have giants and you have hags and you have, uh, you know, slightly weird cats or dogs or yeah, wolves. Yeah. or yeah, But half of the time the flaming monsters... Pigs. like Yeah, flaming pigs. But half of the time the monsters in Irish myth are not actually monsters. Yeah, shapeshifters. They're shapeshifters or they're people or they're helpful. I'm thinking now of the Cúchulain being given a ride on the back of the lion in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he sees it, he thinks, oh shit, a monster. And then it's like, hey, buddy, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll help. You know, they're, they're, they're kind of, I think that lack is really interesting in Irish myth. Like when you're looking for monsters, 
they're a little bit hard to find because there's always again, like another you, perspective on that monster. But landscape-wise, even like the origin of these stories, what's the scariest thing in in your surrounding? It's somebody who has a dark look in their eyes. It's somebody, yeah. it's a human being, is probably yeah. in the Irish landscape the most scary thing out there. You know, someone with a vendetta or, or you know, the imagined counter hero you know so I mean that's a that's a good point I mean if you ever go to to Dunangus on um, is it on the it's Aaron on Islands. the Aran Islands yeah. like it's an incredible fortress uh, at the edge of a sheer cliff and there's like no, a number of different walls and battlements mm-hmm. all facing inland inland yeah. and there is nothing between you and the cliff yeah, yeah which yeah. is a really interesting perspective of like oh the danger is coming from the people. Mm-hmm. The danger is not coming from Just nature. Don't fall off the cliff. Listen, if you're going to go fall off a cliff, you were going to fall off a cliff. <laughs> All right, and listen, you're well, going to be actually, that careless. But actually, like, it is an interest. It's just kind I'm, of in, ter- in terms of what you're saying. Yeah, like yeah. The danger is the other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially those that are have the magic ability of the fae, and that's the kind uh-huh. of the, the imagined superpower, and that's the kind of. Um, although, again, the pastes and like quite close to Dunangus is the the paste hole, mm. a giant, huge, rectangular rock hole that's just mad in the sea, and the paste being the kind of creature that is somewhat serpentine, somewhat kind of uh, scary, and that's kind of obviously been kind of put on to uh, this creature named Ollie or made made him a creature rather than uh, yes and then the creature you know whether it's reptilian breathing fire obviously modern days it's just easier to call him a dragon because all kids want a dragon, a dragon in the story and we proved that a number of times yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Um, in various workshops but I guess the yeah the, the, the scariness of the description that you gave is this of this, you know, angle, cute, I don't know, thin and dark and tall and creepy, molten. Like, yeah. it's terrifying. It's way more terrifying, actually, than... Yeah. A guy with a mouthful of molten rock is a is a, is a whole other vibe. That's actually really... Fu- that's pretty scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, dragons is just dragons, but, like... Here's here's a here's a here's a here's a dude that's too long, and <laughs> way too long, and, and playing music, and also mouth full of melted rock. Do you think that's an image? Like, do do you think so? Like the 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 copycat aspect of Irish myths and relating to other stories, and you you mentioned that you know there might be kind of a, a Beowulf, you know. It's a, it's a it's a similar it's the same like you know the way stories are all story shaped and yeah. there's a limited number of shapes that stories can be in you kind of get to know them after a while which is when people ask us how do you remember stories by the way that's the answer all stories are story shaped and you figure out what elemental shapes they are pretty quickly um but yeah this is a Beowulf well, no shaped more. story find out more in our yeah, uh, long storytelling course. Yeah, starting, starting yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, we'll tell you about that. Um, so yeah, there's that. There's that kind of like um, that is the particular shape of 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 this type of story. Now, which one came first? I have no idea. Beowulf is the oldest written, I think, in this mm. part of the world. Um, and whether I, you know, I don't, I have no idea. Uh, I assume that the Beowulf one got translated into Irish and if you were going to do a Beowulf in Ireland you're going to make the hero is Fionn instead of Beowulf sure, because that's kind of how it version. goes yeah, they get yeah. they get adapted to whoever is the local hero 
is the one who does the the cool thing. Yeah, again, like I, I often kind of wonder about about those types of things in terms of like, is it just in the collective kind of unconscious? Is it like, is there just gonna be a, a hero defeating the monster? You know, that archetype is kind of there. Uh, no, yeah, there's probably kind of a modern twist on it. Well, there's there's different there's different things in different cultures, and it it, it gets shaped by the the culture that it's told within. Mm-hmm. And there is that thing as well of like, is the monster killed or is the monster sent away? Which is a kind of a real theme in Beowulf of like every time he kills the monster, a different monster takes its place and is worse. Um, so there's something really interesting about like, Fionn, in, in all of the times that I have told this story and all the times I've heard this story, he doesn't kill Olil. He doesn't kill the dragon. He wounds him and drives him off. And that breaks the cycle. Yeah. Um. But there's also something about this cycle of destruction and rebirth that I think is kind of baked into this type of story as well of like, particularly the destruction of like a feasting hall during a feast, because that's a high point. That's a point of high celebration. And the destruction of that is pretty devastating in this climate coming into winter, because you're also talking about like, Oh, massively. Food stores. You're talking about having to do construction at the time of year where you have very little daylight and you have like not enough time to build before it's dark again tomorrow night. Um, so it's it's a, you know, there's a particular thing I think there as well that is seasonal and that is about that kind of cycle of, of destruction and, and rebirth and rebuilding. And, you know, the other thing that struck me when I was researching this one of like the cycle had been going on for 23 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a really long time. Like yeah. that's a lot longer than Fionn is alive. Mm-hmm. That's a lot longer than, you know, the the kind of bad, the bad bits in the Fiona have been going on. Mm-hmm. This has been going on well back in the time of Fionn's father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With no mention of it. With no mention of it. Um, but like, you know, in as much as timelines make sense in Irish mythology, which again, they don't, they don't. Um, much as much as there are both two and one salmons of knowledge. Uh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. is with the one salmon. So obviously this is like high priority for the Fianna, And I think the last point to really focus in on this story is what Fionn does at the very end there. Because like you mentioned Cool, his father being killed by Colm McMorna and he yeah. goes into the, the feasting hall and he looks him in his one eye and basically says, all right. Yeah, I mean, I remember this striking me when I, I heard it told by, um, I can't remember what, there was a podcast that I was listening to where it was being told by someone who was not from Ireland uh, who kind of got to that point and was like, from every other mythology I've ever looked at, this should be a battle to the death. Yeah. From every other archetype of this story. You killed my father, therefore you die. You die now. This is a vengeance story. You you my name is Sean McCool, you killed my father, prepare to die. Like this is that's the that's how that story goes. And I think it is really interesting that in the Irish version of that story, a different choice is made and that, you know, the choice is made for harmony. And this is also kind of this is the best version of Fionn McCool because Fionn McCool doesn't isn't always perfect and he's not always a paragon. And there are times, particularly with older Fionn, where he is less, oh, definitely. Uh, less generous of heart and less forgiving. Uh, but this kind of moment of young Fionn looking at his old enemy who's kind of hunted him his whole life and saying, let's, let's be at peace, um, is huge. And like... 
It is huge because it's yeah. it like by killing him, it's just the fuel will keep on going. You, Absolutely. And, and that's the whole thing. And that's actually food. the interesting thing about, you know, Fionn's story as an arc, which I don't think we've ever told it as, as kind of a start to finish arc. And it might be a project we do at some point is that that comes back. Mm-hmm. Like that is the thing that precipitates the downfall of the Fianna. Yeah. Is when he and Gull fight again for the final time and Gull is killed. Um, and and this becomes unforgivable. And yeah. that it like the whole feud kicks back off again and it is yeah. bad enough then to lead to the Battle of Gaura and the end of the Fianna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so it's a really interesting one in terms of like it is a it is a rejection of that kind of tragic cycle. But that cycle comes back later anyway. Mm-hmm. Willy or nilly, it's it still comes back. Um, brilliant. Well, look, I think that's definitely enough for this podcast. We yes. have a few more classics to talk about, and we'll be talking about the Ulster cycle in the and uh, are reflecting upon them. Um, and yeah, I hope you enjoy this chat. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, thank you very much for our Patreon supporters who've gone to candletales.com forward slash cat. Patreon.com forward slash Candletales. What was it again? It was Patreon.com forward slash Candletales. Always get it wrong, you know, I just always so confused. I know, it's very confusing, uh, very but confusing. it is Patreon.com forward slash <laughs> okay, Candletales. Okay, okay. um, um, who've helped us out and who continue to help us out and show support for this podcast. Thank you very much. And, and who we'll, come and join us every month for a Zoom chat because that's what that's we're currently bonus. doing. That's, that's the thing that's the main bonus and we get to chat to people all around the world and see people in Australia how you are um, and all over the world which and is all cool. over the world it's um, very very nice alright lads listen thanks very much and we'll chat to you soon you yep.